All right. Well, this was, uh, you know, I may send out the recording to this. It was, it was awesome time last night. Uh, the retreat, I wasn't there at all today. Um, where's Steve? I guess he's downstairs. Oh. Um, there were about 50, 50 people out there last night. And um, it's really anointed time. They're going to be talking about, or they have been talking about evangelism all weekend. And uh, basically, my, my teaching was about how genuine evangelism you know, has to begin with genuine worship. You, you need to understand. You, I mean, if you're trying to tell someone about God and you're not actually really excited about who God is and captured with, captivated by uh, his love, then evangelism is just um, it's, it's powerless. You know? And so it was really a teaching on worship, but how evangelism is an overflow of worship, real evangelism. And uh, so it was good, and we, we had some powerful time in worship. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing some more testimonies from the UCF retreat when our crew comes back. <clears throat> All right. Well, I'm going to talk about Haggai and Zechariah as just the companion prophets of the time of Ezra, the time of the rebuilding. And um, if you want to go to Ezra, the, the story where they come in, and this is just review, the part of the story that they come in is after the work has uh, experienced some opposition and actually has come to a stop, the work on building the temple, rebuilding the temple. And Zerubbabel is um, leading the people. And they get the foundation laid and there's some... There's some initial celebration, but as often happens when the work of God begins to move and and actually succeed, here comes the opposition. Here comes the enemies. And by the way, you know, the the word Satan, Satan, it just means adversary. It means opposition. All right. And so whenever you see opposition in these books, it's it's literally Satan. It is... um, Anything that hinders the work of God and opposes his people is from Satan. Um, So Ezra 5. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And then go to chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, 14. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. And And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. They prospered through the prophesying of Haggai 
and the prophet, uh, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo. Father, I pray that you meet us in this time in the Word, and uh, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would build us up, and uh, that we could hear tonight uh, what you would say to us. We need you, God. We, we wait on you. We open our hearts to your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Zechariah and Haggai were prophets sent for a particular purpose. Um, the work had stopped, and in come the prophets. And prophecy uh, is an important role. Prophecy is an important function among the people of God. It always has been. Uh, it still is to this day, and I want to talk a little bit about that uh, as we, as we uh, conclude tonight. But Haggai and Zechariah are quite different from each other. Did you realize that? I mean, Haggai is pretty short. He's got a pretty challenging, very practical message. <laughs> Get out of your houses and come build the house of God. I love Haggai's message, right? Because they had experienced opposition. And I don't know, it's just, it's eerily, it's eerily familiar, right? When things get hard in the work of the kingdom, people tend to just busy themselves in their own little bubbles. That's what was going on. That, that happens, I think, uh, in every generation of, of the people of God. When the work gets hard, when the opposition comes, people retreat into themselves. I think we're seeing that happen uh, all, of, all around the world, especially in America. People have literally been sequestered in their homes. Um, the price of uh, lumber has sky- it had skyrocketed. At one point, it was like, it was so backed up, people wanting to build uh, fences in their house and do the, all these projects that you couldn't find like a scrap of fence wood anywhere. <laughs> people were literally sequestered in their homes, putting up panels, doing projects at home. Why? Because some, a big scary plague was sweeping across our country. And so people just hunkered down and started to be busy uh, about the, going about their own lives. But one of the things that was happening, it says, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. They were doing a lot of stuff, but it was not fruitful. It was not effective. They were wearing themselves out, but there was nothing really to show for it. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. All right, so I, I, we've heard the message of Haggai a number of times uh, the, over the last few weeks. And basically God says, and I think this is an important principle. I'm not sure if anyone has said it yet exactly like this. But this is an important principle to take away from Haggai. Well, the New Testament says it like this. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. Right? They were focused on their own lives, and it never seemed to get to the place that they wanted to get. They were laboring, they were harvesting, or they were sowing much, or they were harvesting little. They were in themselves, they were secluded, they were inward, 
And all of that was sort of not producing anything. But God says, why are you so fruitless? Because you're not giving yourself to build the house. And so there's this principle in the kingdom where when we stop being concerned about building up our own resources, our own lives, our own homes, our own families, and when we begin to pour that stuff into, pour our resource into the work of the kingdom, somehow all of these things that we were concerned about, those begin to flourish. Right? God says it like this. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. God's got plenty of resource. There's plenty of, uh, you, you will have plenty. God is a God of abundance, right? We, we don't, we, there's no scarcity in the kingdom of God. And so he basically says, shift your focus and watch the fruit and the, and the blessing begin to flow into your life. So that's a principle that I, I've found, just I, I've proven true many, many times in my life. That the more, the more I focus on my own life, the less fruitful those pursuits become. And the more I look around me and say, what is the work that God has given me to? Who are the people that I need to devote my resources, my time, my energy? Who do I need to open up my life to? Who do I need to go serve? When I give myself to that, lo and behold, wow, we have more than enough, right? And Emily and I have, have experienced that in many, many ways. The, if we start down, sit down and start crunching numbers and start planning things out, everything starts to look a little... A little hazy. Well, how are we? But as soon as we say, no, God will give us enough to, to do what we need to do. And this is true financially, but it's also true like emotionally, like your emotional capacity. When you start, well, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm going from thing to thing to thing. I really just need to sit down and kind of collect my thoughts and get myself ready. And the more you do that, it's like the more you just pull into yourself, it seems like the less prepared you are and the less filled you are. But then you start to give yourself to the relationships that God has given you to. And you go, wow, this, I'm, I'm feeling so, so provided for and full. And God is, is pouring out his blessing on me. All right. So that's Haggai. That, that's um, not really what I wanted to talk about tonight, but I think it's important. It's an important principle in building the house of God and doing the work of the kingdom. And so Haggai really focuses on the actual work. Go build the temple. Put yourself out there. Put yourself at the disposal of the people building the house of God and watch what happens. And he says, uh, work because I'm with you. Right? So Haggai is a practical exhortation. 
Haggai says, you know, look at your lives. You're spending your time at home. Get to work. Get out there and watch what I do. So Haggai was really speaking to the practical situation of the people. Zechariah is a completely different book. Right? They, were, they were sent to prophesy at the exact same times. And you can go through and pick out like the, the time markers in these books. And this is over, the book of Zechariah is over basically a six, less than a six-month period. It's like from, it would be like from August to December at various points, about around one time per month, God came to, uh, I'm sorry, in Haggai, God came and gave words to the people just in like this four or five month period. That's it. Haggai was sent to say, all right, in this time, you guys need to get out of your house and go build the house of God. Zechariah is different, but he was sent at the same time. Okay, so this is my main point tonight is that when the people of God needed a prophetic word, God sent two guys. And one was very practical. And the other one was a totally different kind of <laughs> prophetic word. All right, because the book of Zechariah begins, it begins with, a, with an introduction. But then it launches into these eight visions, these dream visions. And this is more what we think of as like kind of the difficult prophecy, the, the hard to understand um, it, it really belongs to a class of prophecy called apocalyptic prophecy. And that's not like doomsday prophecy. It's apocalyptic literature is um, it's prophecy that, that aims to like tear back the veil between us and the heavenly realm and give us a little peek into that world. Right? So it makes sense that when a prophet is giving an apocalyptic vision meaning a revelatory vision revealing what's happening in the heavenly realm, that language often fails <laughs> or gets really weird. Okay? That's, why it's hard to, that's why it's hard to read some of this prophecy because he's using human language to describe these heavenly visions, right? which gets hard. That's why, like in Revelation, there's a sea of glass like a rainbow. Well, how does that work? Like stained glass or what? If you start to get too technical, it starts to lose all its, what it's supposed to do. But if you understand what's going on here in this piece of literature is a human agent who has been granted sight into the heavenly realm is now trying to describe what he sees. <laughs> okay, I see what's going on. We're trying to really describe the indescribable. Now, that's not to say that these are without meaning. Now, there, there is meaning, but a lot of times it's very symbolic, um, and it's, it's sort of like meaning on steroids, right? Um, we are bringing heavenly realities to bear into a very real and practical situation. So I like that Haggai and Zechariah were the two guys. Haggai was like, all right, here's what it looks like on the ground. Here's what you need to hear on the ground. Get out of your homes. Go build the house of God. Zechariah comes in and is basically exhorting them to do the same thing, but in a totally different way. Zechariah's message is, yeah, you need to go build the house of God. But what he says is, and I saw in the night four horsemen that roamed the earth. Right? Well, that's, a, that's a different kind of prophecy. But it's, it's for the same purpose, to get the people to get out of their homes and go build the house of God.
Um, all right. So Zechariah is an apocalyptic prophet. And Haggai is, is, is more of a, 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 a practical, pragmatic prophet. Um, verse 3 of chapter 1. I'll just begin in verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Okay? This is right after the people have returned to the land. And he says, there's a work to do. Here's what you all need to understand. In this return, I don't want you returning to the way things were. Don't return and be like your fathers. That's why they ended up outside the land. What does he say? Return to me. Not return to the land. Not return to the even the temple. Right? Because all of that was always meant for God to be with his people. Right? And that's what that's what the, when God was angry with their fathers, that's what he was angry about. They had forgotten him. They had formed the, the temple and, and they were doing all sorts of things that it was not intended to do. Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. That's what he was saying. He says, there's a long line of prophets. If you look back into the history, and, and there, there were, and we, we, we've been through them, some of them recently. There's a long line of prophets that were saying, come back to me. That's the es- essence of the message. Come back to me or you're going to be cast out. Come back to me. Stop, I, stop worshiping idols. Stop going after the customs of the nations around you. Be the people that I intended for you to be. But they didn't hear me or pay attention to me. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and statutes, which I commanded my servants and prophets, they did, not overt- did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so as he dealt with us. At a certain point in exile, they realized, wow, this is just God being faithful to his promise. He said he was going to do it, and he did it. So Zechariah says, guys, um, Haggai says, get out of your homes and go build the house of God. Zechariah says, let's not, get, <laughs> let's not fall into the same mistakes again. Return to me. Okay, so in the midst of this opposition, they're being exhorted to continue the work. Zechariah's message is, don't forget, in all of this, in rebuilding the temple, return to me. As you're coming back into the land and as you're reestablishing yourselves as a people, you need to return to me. And then he launches into these, in the, in the first six chapters, it's full of these dream visions 
And again, I think the context of this is very important. These visions are all about, all right, so they see, they live in a certain time and place. And God says, don't just relate to what you see in the current situation that you find yourselves in. Let me take you on a little journey here through to the, into the control room. Let's go behind the scenes and let's see what's really going on in heaven. All right, and this is why, this is, this is Zechariah's purpose in prophesying to the people. He wants to tear back the veil as they're coming in and as they're experiencing opposition and as they're disheartened, discouraged, and I don't know if this is going to work out. Um, they're intimidated and they're just busying themselves in their own homes. God says, look, no, 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 no. It's not more of the same. Something big is happening, and you need to know what that is. But it's not going to look like that here and now. Right? This is what Haggai said. He says, work because I'm with you. Just trust that this is what you need to do. Don't get caught up in what's going on around you. Just work for I am with you. And Zechariah says, work because look what's going on. God is up to far more than you could ever imagine. And he is moving. And he has, been, he has been bringing you to this point. And so don't give up now. That would just be like your father's. I won't go through the visions, but I think my favorite, well, there's a couple, I think, things to point out that are really important. First one is in chapter 4. This is where the great verse, you know, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Um, In verse 8, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. All right, the foundation had been laid, but then the work got stopped. His hands shall also complete it. What What a great word into this situation. Hey, that work that got started, it's going to be completed by the same one that started it in this generation. It just reminds me of the verse in Philippians. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. The verse before that, in uh, verse 7, it says, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone. Right? They've laid the foundation. It says, For Zerubbabel will bring, he will complete the work amid shouts of grace, grace to it. It was grace that brought them back into the land. It was grace that helped them lay the foundation. And despite all the opposition, it's going to be grace that lets them complete the work. And what's the song say? It's grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. So Zechariah is calling them. He says, return to me. I've got everything under control. Just look at everything that's going on in the heavenly realm. Now, let's get back to work. 
Um, chapter 7 and 8 of Zechariah really are about this question. They say in uh, verse 5, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, no, no, verse 3. So there's this question that they, they have. Um, so men came to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and of the prophets, and they said, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month, as I have done so for many years? That is interesting. We're heading, we're heading into a period of fasting. And so they're coming back into the land, and they say, All right, so we're in sort of this new season of the people of God. We're not in exile anymore. Um, are we still having the yearly fast? <laughs> and Zechariah's answer is long, but it's basically, the essence of it is this. You, ha- you don't really understand fasting. What you've been doing, what you, th- what you think you've been doing, and what you've been calling fasting all these years, that hasn't really been a true fast. And it's similar to Isaiah, uh, what is it, 58, where he says, when you fast, it's just you're focusing on afflicting yourselves and kind of the experience of fasting. The whole point of fasting is to experience life, is to be free from the bondage of our physical needs and to be open and more sensitive to the heavenly realm and, and, and the voice of God. And so he gives this answer. He says, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, that's what you were doing all that time. When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? He says, but but all, all this time, hearts have remained hardened. And so if, if fasting over and over don't soften hearts, then what is it that you're doing? And in chapter 8, he says this, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion. He says, return to me. I'm here waiting for you. I have returned, and you are returning. Now, if you will recognize that You're returning to me. We'll get off on a different foot. I have returned to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts. And then he he concludes that chapter in verse 20. He says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts. People shall yet come. Oh, no. uh, Verse 18. The word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. The fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. So he says, if you're asking me, hey, do we still have to fast? I think what we need to do is not get rid of the fast, but I think you need to actually fast. And then, guess what will happen? At all of those times, you're not going to be coming to it like, there's a fast. This is, these are now feasts. These are seasons of joy. Not this affliction and, oh, oh man. No, it's a time for feasting. 
And then in verse 20, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Because this people is on fire for God. And they found God. And they know him. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you. How's that for evangelism? There we go. This is exactly the point that we were making last night. I've always wanted a place that I could bless and dwell in so that the whole earth could see who I am and could come and learn from me and be blessed by my people. That's a great vision. Ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This is what God is building. And this is the work that they... Work. Get back to work. Build the house of God. We're not rebuilding the old stuff. As Haggai said, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong. Be strong, all you people of the land. Work for I am with you. Verse 9, he says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. We're not rebuilding. They had this attitude that, well, all right. We started the foundation. It's never going to be as good as what it was before. And plus, we got all this opposition. You know, I don't know if this is going to work out. And the prophets come in and say, not again. There's a new thing happening. Zechariah has this, says this, and, and Haggai also says that God, he's going to shake the heavens. You don't understand. It's not happening right now. But if you will be faithful, you will pave the way for generations to come. And he is going to uh, make this house more glorious than it, than it ever was. And then the last part of, of Zechariah, the chapters 9 through uh, 14, really reveal to the people um, what's, what's ahead. You know, he tears back the veil and he says, no, God's at work. He's with you. The Spirit, you know, we've got this vision of the high priest and you are going to complete the house. Right now, this is, this is your destiny and you have the full resources of heaven at your disposal. Despite what you think, despite what it looks like, Keep working. But then he begins to unveil what's going to come after that. And it's, I mean, we have just several explicit prophecies of Christ. Several that are mentioned in the Gospels. 
here in chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Right? And that's quoted in the Gospels. When Jesus rides in on a donkey, he enters <laughs> the holy city. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Chapter 13. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and uncleanness. On that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies, prophesies and his father and mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. Um, There was one more. Oh yeah, in chapter 14. Verse 6, on that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day living water shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. Not just over Jerusalem, over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one. And his name won. All right, so these two prophets get sent to uh, encourage the people in the work. So just go to go to First Corinthians. Chapter 14. I mean, it's just so clear. I mean, the the story is so clear, right? There was a work to be done. The people weren't doing the work for a number of reasons. Fear, complacency, um, just discouragement. And prophets were sent to help the people get back to doing that work. Right? And this is the situation we find ourselves in. 
Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, literally building, and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Um, so that's really what I wanted to look at tonight and just remind us that God has set us to a work. And, I mean, we all know that that work is very often opposed. We find ourselves in various states of complacency, of maybe we're getting a little too inwardly focused, maybe we're discouraged because it seems hard, or there's actually real opposition or oppression happening in our lives and and hindrance. Um, The opponents of, I mean, there's lots of different ways that the work becomes opposed. I mean, they they start to uh, bring legal action against the people of God to get them to stop. Luckily, that doesn't work. But the people of God often find themselves in this situation. And God, just like he did back then, he sent these two prophets and the work got finished. It says they, the work was finished through the prophecy. Let me read it because I want to get it just right. The elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. The prophets hadn't been faithful. The prophets hadn't opened their mouths and spoken to the people, to the people in general, but also to the leaders. They had some specific words for Zerubbabel and for Jeshua, the priest. They called them out and they said, guys, you've got to work. God's with you. The elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of the prophets. And here it says, one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. <laughs> and so we are, you know, we, we, we know this now, that we are the house of God. It's not a, it's not a building in, in Jerusalem. It is the people that God is building together. He has built a house for his name, and it's called the church. And he dwells in our relationships with each other. And the work that we do isn't you know, build a building drive or a building project, although maybe that will happen. But the work that we primarily do is the work of building relationship. And that is the work that sometimes you start, and then it kind of fizzles out. And we need to be open to being sent into each other's lives as prophets to say, hey, that work that you started, you need to work. You need to stick with it because God's with you. And we also need to be open and understand that in times of our lives when we are complacent, when we have kind of stalled out, that God sends people to speak to us 
and to build us up and to help us get back to work. Um, all right, well, that's, the, that's, I mean, that's my very simple point tonight. And I think it really comes to life through both Haggai and Zechariah. Because the, the thing that you see is one of them was very practical. <laughs> and the other one brought kind of difficult dream visions. But both of them were necessary to get the work back on track. So you might be a real practical, you might have real practical things to say to someone. You might get deep in prayer for someone, and God just shows you things. You're like, whoa. All through Zechariah, he goes, what is that? What does that mean? (laughs) And the answers are sometimes more confusing than the actual vision. But we need to, as Paul says, we need to, to desire prophecy. Not so that we can, you know, hey, that's cool, wow. But because the work needs prophets. Very clearly, the work needed prophets, and the work still needs prophets. Um, so we're heading into our time of fasting, and that's always a time of sort of increased sensitivity, and, and prophetic words start start kind of proliferating through, uh, through the body. So I just want to remind us of that as we head into this time. Uh, there's been some really encouraging, realigning things that, that people have shared with me or shared with a group during the fasts. And uh, I want to encourage everybody to be open to that. And even if you don't fancy yourself a prophet, God, I think he, he, it's, it's become much more of a democratic thing. <laughs> In the, New, in the New Testament church. There are prophets. There, that's an office. But there's also just prophecy. And I think prophecy happens uh, a lot more than we actually realize. Prophetic words are spoken. It's not always this, ooh. But really, if we seek God, if we're open to the, the Spirit, we speak things that we wouldn't have otherwise spoken and it's the Holy Spirit. And it's, pro- it's prophetic. All right, so I want to kind of put, help get our antennas up as we enter into the season of fasting. Um, but also, I think the point about fasting is, is also good uh, to take with us and, and timely. That we're not, you know, my first reaction whenever we start to look at the date of the fast, oh man. It's just kind of muscle memory. Oh. <laughs> Uh, but more and more, I've, I've come to deeply appreciate our time of fasting. And it really does take practice, you know, as you, uh, year after year, as we do this, you know, I, I appreciate it more and more. And it's not, it's not an instant thing. Um, but it is, it, it really is a feast of, of the Word of God, a feast of His presence. And real joy really, uh, really happens. So... Um, those two things that I wanted to bring before us. Amen. Do we want to share anything before we uh, close in prayer? All right.
Lord, thank you that you have um, remembered us, that you have called us to yourself. Lord, that you've uh, invited us into a relationship with you. And you are excited about being with us, Lord. You are excited. You are waiting for us, uh, just like you were waiting for your people uh, to return, to get back to the land. You were, you were waiting there for them. Lord, you are waiting, always waiting for us to uh, come be with you and to, to hear from you. Thank you that you desire to be with us. Lord, I pray that our desire would be to be with you. That the yearning of our heart would be uh, your presence, Lord. Thank you that you're our Father and that the nature of your relationship with us is deeply personal, Lord, and you know us in a deep and intimate way. So, Lord, in these days of... Um, fasting, and then feasting in the holidays. Lord, pour out your presence among us. Lord, I pray that in our times of uh, seeking your face, uh, Lord, you would give us words, that you would give some of us practical prophecy. You'd help us see uh, Lord, for individuals or for us as a body or for even, even for the, the, the church in this city, the whole church in this city, Lord, that you would give us words of exhortation. Uh, Lord, like Haggai spoke to the people. Is this a time to, to dwell in your paneled homes? Get up and build the house of God. Lord, I pray that you would uh, exhort us prophetically, Lord, And Lord, I also pray that you would give some of us uh, visions. Lord, that you would take some of us into the heavenly realm and show show us what you're up to, Lord. Show us how we can engage our generation in a way that aligns with your purposes, Lord, in our generation. Lord, show us if this is a time of, uh, of revival. Show us if this is a time of, of um, faithful persistence. Lord, I pray that you would um, reveal to us uh, and, and help us to understand the times in which we live in a prophetic sense, God. Lord, generally, I just pray that you would pour out uh, the, the gift of prophecy in this church. The gift of edifying prophecy, building up prophecy, prophecy that helps us do the work that you've called us to do. Lord, we don't want to uh, just a technique. We don't want to just try and pull ourselves and grit our teeth and get through the opposition. Lord, sometimes we need a word. And so I pray that you would. Um, Gift us a word, Lord, in this season. Each of us, Lord. A word to face whatever it is, whatever obstacle we are currently facing. Or give us a, a prophecy 
uh, to build us up. Lord, whether it's just a simple, simple word, whether it's a deeply spiritual vision, or we yearn for prophecy uh, so that your church could be established here and so that your presence could be among us in a deeper way. We thank you for that, Lord. And I do pray that you continue to prepare our hearts uh, to seek you and, and to fast in, in a genuine sense, Lord, in the way that you uh, intend for fast to go. Uh, Lord, not in a, um, a self-absorbed, um, ascetic sense. But Lord, we, wanna, we want to uh, see you, God. We want to cut through the, uh, the fog of the world that we live in and we, and we want to see you high and lifted up and see the glory of your face, Lord. And help us to do that as we, uh, as we prepare for the fast. We thank you for who you are and for your grace in our lives. We pray that you would go with us uh, and uh, establish your kingdom through our lives, Jesus. You are worthy. Amen.